Good morning, afternoon, or evening. Please delete as appropriate. Hello there. This is Andy Anatko, and welcome to this episode number 330 of the Material Podcast. And I am all alone this week. Uh, Flo is out this week. Now, she's not sick. Uh, I'll let her explain the entire story next week. Um, let's just say that she'll probably have a lot of things to say about both her home broadband provider and her wireless provider. Yeah. Um, and on top of everything else, we had a trifecta of events this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we saw live streamed announcements from Apple, Google, and Samsung in that order. That's never a lot of fun for us in the tech press. No, it's, it'd be a lot less fun if we had to actually be traveling to all these three different places for these three different events. Uh, but some, somehow uh, we'll find a way to complain, even though we're just sort of sitting in our own like home offices surrounded by screens. But yeah, it's, I, I'm joking, but it still means that uh, every single one of these days we have to cover a live stream. We have to take copious notes. We have to probably check with lots of sources that are outside of this let's face it, marketing hour of uh, dogs and ponies shows going on. And uh, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of used to getting a day off a couple of days off between these two things. And we don't, we don't like to have those, those boots on the, the rubber boots that we put on to protect ourselves from the increasing mounds of crap that is being uh, shoveled at us by uh, these marketing departments that are trying to just get some press for their what they think are revolutionary announcements. But for us, it's another Monday followed by another Tuesday followed by another Wednesday. So it's uh, it's Thursday now. And I really got a nice, nice block of sleep Thursday morning because I could actually not have to worry about, okay, this thing that I didn't know about two hours ago that I now have to talk about in front of a radio audience of a couple hundred thousand people. How can I make myself seem like not an idiot? Is there any way that I can actually do that? And sometimes there's a way to do that. Sometimes I could hope to just come out with my dignity intact. Uh, in any event, I did get a cider donut uh, for breakfast Thursday morning just to sort of make myself a little bit happier. But that's not your problem. That's my problem and our problem. Uh, so we'll be talking, excuse me, I'll be talking all about that uh, later on in the show. But this is the usual place for pre-show chat. Little, We're, we're metaphorically sitting behind our little like studio desk studio desk that's made to look like a homey little coffee table we're on two different little sofas holding our cups of coffee with a cup with the company station logo on them and talking about how the weekend went so my my big story for today is that we're we are i'm now in the position where i've got to put up or shut up on this halloween costume you may have heard me sort of talk a little bit about these things in in passing i got this idea for a Halloween costume about a month ago when I also realized that, Hey, I've got my first tickets to the Metropolitan Opera since before COVID and realized that, Oh wow, that is actually the Friday before Halloween. It's, it's on Halloween weekend. And I got, Hey, wouldn't it be funny if I wore a costume and then, well, of course, no, I'm not going to wear a costume, but then I said, well, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to sort of reinterpret a really, really popular costume? And I had a specific costume in mind. Like if you were to, if you were to name like uh, 10 costumes that someone like me would want to wear in public on Halloween, you'd probably get it within the first three guesses. But my idea was let's find a way to adapt this and interpret this and express this in the form of 
actual normal clothes. The idea being that if someone is marginally hip, they'll realize that, oh my God, that guy, I think that guy is dressed like blah, blah, blah. But if you had no familiarity with a character, you would think, oh, okay, well, that guy's just dressed up for the opera. So this was, a, again, there's no off position on the creativity switch. This is how we amuse ourselves when we're stuck here in our home offices <laughs> 18 hours a day. Uh, we have a, we can break that up with a, a lunch and a dinner and a couple of snacks. Maybe we can hit some Netflix, but usually it's just us in our little brains trying to find a way to uh, keep ourselves amused. And this really did amuse me trying to figure this out. And so – as a result, for the past month, I've been sort of taking things out of my closet and putting it in a little special box. And when things occur to me, ordering something on eBay or off of Amazon and putting it in this little box. The great thing about assembling this costume is that it is really all off the shelf, like common clothing. So it's not like uh, it's not like having an inflatable dinosaur costume where it's an awesome costume. It's an awesome thing to own if you have a need to appear uh, in public dressed as like an inflatable dinosaur. It's really hard to approximate that unless you have an actual inflatable dinosaur costume. So well done if you actually own one. However, it's, you know, otherwise it's just going to hang in your closet when you don't need <laughs> on those, those 300 and let's just say a thousand days over three years that you don't actually need to appear as an inflatable dinosaur. But all this stuff is like, Oh, wow. I, I can actually use these pants. Oh, I can actually use this shirt. I can actually use this jacket. And also little accessories I actually only have a couple of things that are real costume pieces that are like associated with this character, like licensed. Here is what this logo looks like. Here's what this badge looks like. And actually, now that I've got this all together, I'm not sure that I'm going to use any of those things. I'm kind of now leaning towards using just all the regular off the shelf stuff. But I'm, tr I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out if I'm just a big like coward because uh, when I first started thinking about this, uh, my first thoughts were kind of extreme. I thought, well, how how far can I push this and still like be able to wear that uh, to the Metropolitan Opera? And uh, that went through a very very sane transition period of thinking, no, 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 this is that's not challenging. The challenge is to think that someone just <laughs> decided to wear this out of their wardrobe, and but I still want to communicate that this is that character. How do I do that? And now I, I just don't want to continue the, on that path towards actually uh, maybe I should just wear whatever I was going to wear anyway and pretend it's <laughs> pretend I'm a, I'm, I'm a mature adult and I don't want to get scolded. I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to get picked on by other people. <laughs> I don't want to want people. I don't want, I don't want to be on like a Reddit thread or Instagram <laughs> with, with, with and basically that invites people to caption this with things that are unflattering towards me. Always, always a hazard, even when I normally dress the way I normally dress. But I'd, why would I want to invite that upon myself? Um, I don't think I'm going to chicken out. I think that I am making good, sensible choices. But there is, there is a big difference between planning this in the abstract and actually looking forward to <laughs> – no, 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 Andy. You know, a, a, like a week from today, you will be striding into the Metropolitan Opera House where, where people are dressed for a lovely Friday night out. <laughs> Looking like a major snickerdoodle. 
do you want to look like a snickerdoodle? Maybe not. Uh, but no, I've, I've, so there's always that possibility that I could chicken out. I don't think I will. Uh, it would be a shame because the, it, it's such a great conglomeration of factors that made this possible that I, I don't think I would even think about doing this if it weren't Halloween weekend. So I feel as though I get a little extra license to do this sort of stuff. Even at the Metropolitan Opera, it's like, okay, well, you know what? It is Halloween weekend. Give, give, give the guy some, give the guy a break. The, the other factor is that next Halloween, if I had this idea, maybe it would look odd to be walking around wearing a breathing mask. And this character with so many other characters, it's like actually being, having to wear a mask actually helps immensely because it's perfectly normal for me to have this cloth mask over the lower half of my face. And for this character, particularly who is wearing a mask, like in normal life, it would be weird if I weren't wearing one. So I just, I just feel like I'll regret it. I'll, I'll feel silly, but I hope I'll feel like a good kind of silly, the kind of silly that's like, I don't know. There's going to be a point at which I can't go to the Metropolitan Opera anymore. You know, there'll be maybe a point where I can't, you know, leave my leave my uh, my nursing home anymore. And I don't want to think back 20 years, 30 years, 40 years later and think that, oh, man, why did I wimp out of that? I would totally do that right now. If I could get out of this this bed, I would totally do that. So some, sometimes you've really got to YOLO yourself <laughs> into a courageous spirit. And I, I will share it with you once it's all done, uh, because I still, I'm still making choices. I've, uh, it is a big box. I gave myself lots of options and I think I am narrowing myself down to exactly what components is going to be. There are only like one or two decisions left to be made because this character, I'll give you one more hint, uh, would probably be, it, I decided that it would seem odd for this character not to be holding a gun. Okay. I realized that a lot of you people just realized that I just crossed a certain line there. I certainly cannot enter any public space in New York city holding anything that looks like a gun, even if it's simply a plastic prop prop replica. I know that. However, people who have seen this character would expect him to be holding something. Okay. And I'm trying to figure out what I can be holding that doesn't look like a gun at all. Again, I don't, nothing like that. Again, this person just simply dressed themselves, went out for the, for an evening at the opera, but something that I can be holding in my hands that will sort of complete the little story, complete the little picture. So I have two or three options. Um, so we'll see which 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 way it goes. Now the the other complication, uh, we, we will get on with the show, but the other complicated this this is therapy by the way. Thank you so much for listening to me because this is the first time I've really explained this to anybody, <laughs> even to my closest friends. Um, the the other complication is that it turns out that I'm going to be meeting some friends that I've known online for a long time, but I've never actually seen in public. So this is this is the difference between. Uh, uh, um, oh, what's the word? There was a really good sociological term uh, for uh, the kind of relationship, the, the kind of modern relationships on the internet that didn't exist like 20 years ago, where um, it's not really a friendship, but it is some sort of a relationship. So you can't be presumptuous uh, and call it a real friendship. And my rule is that if I've, if I've got out to dinner with somebody, 
and that person and mutually there was excitement. Oh, great. No, no, let's, let's definitely meet up for dinner if you're going to be in town. That's the, that sort of is the magic ticket that as soon as that evening is over, okay, good. This person is not a, oh, parasocial. That's how they said it. Parasocial relationships. It moves, moves it from a parasocial relationship to a social relationship. And so the, the complication is that, so I'm going to be meeting three or four people for the first time in the flesh. And they're going to see me wearing this again, perhaps snickerdoodly outfit. Is that really the impression that I want to make? Is that is that going to be like? <laughs> do you, you know, if you, you know, we, we all lie on our dating profile. It's not a date, but <laughs> it's like you're 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 kind of stealing yourself for saying, well, you know, I have a perception of this person through knowing them through their Instagram, through through online, and of course, I have to be ready that this this person has no obligation to match the picture that I've imagined this person to be. I'm maybe they didn't imagine me to be dressed in a Halloween costume. So yes, that is having a small factor into my selection of costume components, but hopefully if they have the nature, the nature of the online relationship means that they have seen my Instagram quite a lot and they know I'm not the, I'm I'm not the least strange person that uh, in, in any demographic, I will probably be in, uh, Again, the, the the weirdo sort of part. Not the. I'm not, not talking about the dangerous weirdo part. I'm talking about like the crackpot inventor in a Disney movie. You know where he gets only like one or two scenes, and it's usually that like it's the odd house at the end of the street, and there's like a muffled explosion, and like purple smoke just puffs out of the out of the chimney, and he runs out covered in like purple dust, saying, "I'm Eureka, Eureka! I've turned bananas into into." pine pine planks and we can build houses out of bananas now and people know that well he's genius but he's a bit odd he's just weird a pleasantly weird person and he'll probably save the day at the end of the at the end of the movie in some odd way so so there is that you have to <laughs> i uh, i have often uh, thought about the concept of the freak flag that uh, god doesn't give all of us a freak flag uh but when you are blessed with a freak flag, you got to fly it proudly because <laughs> that is part of who you are. You're kind of lying to people. If I, if I were to show up in my one really nice business professional suit, that is your, your basic like weddings and funerals suit. And with my hair slicked back and, and you know, no, no facial hair. I think people would know that, okay, this person is on the lamb. He's trying to not match whatever profile is printed out and in the hands of lots of different U.S. Marshals and other law enforcement. They would see right through that. So you got to fly your freak flag. You just got to make sure you don't fly it so loudly that people are <laughs> running the other way. So I'm looking forward to having a great, great weekend. It's going to be fun. Like I said, I'll, I'll tell you all about it once it all comes together, uh, probably because I can't wait to tell Flo about it. Unfortunately, I can't talk to Flo about it today because once again, uh, she is at home with no internet of any kind. I mean, not one single packetized electron is going into or out of her house today. Uh, that's, that's not, that's no good. But let's get on with the show. Uh, this week, uh, of course, the new Pixel 6 is out. That was announced formally and finally on Tuesday. We'll be talking about the event and whatever stuff that we didn't know for a tidy eight seconds. Uh, and I bought one. And I will also explain why I bought one. There's a process involved. And hopefully it'll be uh, another another debriefing, not unlike the debriefing about me 
wearing a Halloween costume to the Metropolitan Opera, but hopefully it'll, it'll be a nice discussion on why this phone kind of matters and how much thought you should go into before you start to you know lay out money for, for hardware upgrades. And uh, in non-Pixel 6 news, the Roku root YouTube rhubarb, which we talked about months and months ago, it was a rhubarb when we talked about it, like in March or April or May, it has now grown into a full-on Donnybrook. So you're going to want to have to listen to that. But we will be listening to that after this ad. This episode of Material is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. If you have a website, what purpose does it serve? Whether it's driving people to your products, collecting sales leads for your company, or providing customer service with a contact form, when these critical transactions fail, you lose out on business, not to mention the bad experience for your users. But there is a solution, transaction monitoring from Pingdom. Starting at just $10 a month, Transaction Monitoring runs checks 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will alert you when a cart checkout, forms, or login pages fail before they affect your customers and your business. Pingdom will notify you the moment there is a failure, over SMS, email, or via your favorite apps like Slack, OpsGenie, and PagerDuty. Depending on what's being monitored, or the severity of the outage, you can customize who's alerted and how they get the notification. Don't let your users discover a problem with your website. You should be the first to know. And it's super easy to get started. Just go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then, when you're ready to buy, use the code MATERIAL at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from Solar Winds for their support of the Material Podcast and all of Relay FM. We'll talk about your anti-climaxes. Apple has often said about how, oh, we like to preserve this feeling of surprise and wonderment for when we finally unveil a phone and un unveil a new product. And I've never thought that was a good idea because we're not children. It's not Christmas. You are a tech company worth a couple of trillion dollars that's trying to sell us a thousand dollar phone. Okay, it's okay for you to start to tell us what your plans are, what your vision is for this year's phone long enough in advance that we can start like budgeting money for this or making plans for for the upgrade and on the score google was very very helpful because we knew basically everything there was to know about this both through direct uh informational uh, dumps that uh, google had made and also things that they had done inadvertently uh, there was there's basically nothing we didn't know or so we thought uh basically pricing i think was the only thing that we really didn't know and uh, that was really, really good news, wasn't it? I was kind of stealing myself for a, a really premium, premium uh, flagship phone levels and realized, realized that Samsung and uh, iPhones are can be upwards of $1,000 just to get in the door. So I was knowing that knowing that they were really making a big swing here. I was ready for a thousand bucks introductory, like the, the, the for, for the version with factory <laughs> factory radio, and no air conditioning. Uh, but wow, uh, the Pixel Six, the smaller one, was five hundred ninety nine dollars, which is smack dab in the middle of a mid range price range. And the Pixel Pro, which has uh, all of Pixel Six Pro, which has all of the 
extra uh, extra buzzers and dingers ha- is just 899 bucks. That's not bad. Uh, again, I was expecting at least a couple hundred dollars more than that. And I had my heart set on the Pixel 6 Pro because of the telephoto lens and a couple other things that I'll get into later on. Uh, so that was really, really a nice surprise. Uh, one of the lesser surprises was, uh, okay, it's good that it's available in uh, 128 gigs of storage, 256 or 512 gigs. The 512 gigabyte model was only available in black. Okay, but what if we want like a, a lovely peach color phone with the kind of like make the apostles quiver in, in anticipation uh, level of storage? Well, you're, you're kind of stuck there. Also, it's, it's kind of uh, I, I did talk to more than one person who uh, went online to order and they thought that they couldn't get it in five. The 512 gigs weren't available because the color they selected maxed out at 256. So rather than check out what was available in other colorways, they just got the color they wanted with the stores they didn't want. Uh, there's also a uh, free Pixel Buds thrown in if you pre-order it. Uh, I bought it. I did not. <laughs> we'll, we'll be also talking about the passion play that was uh, ordering it on the day that the pixels were actually first released uh, for pre-ordering. But I was obviously, I had other things on my mind, which was to get this order to go through. I did not add the, you have to add the pixel buds to your cart and it will be, you'll get like a discount of 99 bucks, which is the cost of the pixel buds. Uh, The good news there is that there is a, uh, a, uh, a support document on the Google site saying, Hey, if you didn't uh, take, if you, if you went through checkout and you didn't add the pixel buds, don't worry, you'll, you'll be getting an email sometime in the next, in the next week or so, November, before November 2nd saying how you can still take advantage of this and get your free pixel buds. So thank you very much, Google. Very, very good. Rock on. Uh, really the only other thing that we're waiting for, I think was how beyond the price was how Google is going to position it. Uh, I, of course, I, I was I, I was being all all dark and cynical. Uh, the uh, tech journalist who's been on the beat for like thirty years now. Oh God, we're gonna have to, have to fly out to Cupertino and have Apple's like big dog and pony show their big circus of misdirection about what their new hardware is. Okay, yes, and there's there's a lot of that, but it's also quite valuable to hear the story that they want to tell about it. Now, as a journalist, it's your responsibility not to simply copy it down and then echo it to your audience, but it does make sense to figure out that, hey, I th- if you thought that you were going to be thinking about this as a practical device that's designed to compete with any other phone on the market, but they're saying, well, no, we really wanted to do something special. This is not going to appeal to many people at all, but we feel as though this is a very, very valuable direction to go for and that we can break new ground here. And if that's the story that they tell when they introduce it, then that certainly changes how you have to evaluate it and maybe how you have to think about the decisions that went into it. Now, that wasn't what happened here, but that's, we really wanted to know how was, how were they going to sort of approach this? And of course, it just as with their pre-release information, it really was all about the tensor chip and how uh, Google is is leveraging all of their artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, research and and their uh, uh, machine learning models and making sure that that can now be actually delivered on a device as opposed to via an internet connection. And so it, it's, it's, it's a through line of the story that Sundar Pichai has been t- uh, talking about 
pretty much since he took over as CEO, that this is an artificial intelligence company and all of the products that they create are expressions of their artificial intelligence research. So and that's certainly how they how they hit it on and on again. And it really does make you with any company when they decide to when their first and most important announcement about a new product is that hey we're no longer buying our chips from intel we're no longer buying our chips from qualcomm we are now creating our own system on a chip you know that these people are pretty hip that they understand how what the path forward is that uh, moore's law has is now broken and bloody by the side of the road several miles back. The idea of oh we can we can get new levels of performance and new uh, levels of uh, of features uh, just by simply adding transistors and making thing making the, the the CPU more powerful. Well, no, you can't do that now. You need to. It's really all about homogenous computing. The idea of designing a chip that is a system on a chip that is designed. To do, that is aware of all the things that you want this device to do specifically and optimizing that design and the software that runs on it to take advantage of every single thing uh, that you have, every single transition you, you, you've put onto it. So it's not just about making this one CPU run super, 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 super fast. Making Getting that kind of performance is about, well, we're going to put lots of GPUs in here and we're going to use a lot, the GPUs for a lot of the calculations. We're going to have AI chips that are going to be doing a lot of the heavy lifting for uh, a lot of the signal processing that we're doing on and on and on. So if they simply said that, oh, well, we've got the best new Qualcomm chip that there is that there is out there, you'd be thinking, oh man, this is kind of like previous Pixels and previous Nexus phones where they they were ambitious in a couple of ways, but they still put like the same tiny thin tires on it or the tiny underpowered engine inside it that holds it all back. It's not a, it really isn't a holistic approach to creating something that is very, very new and very, very forward thinking. Uh, but overall, this really made Qualcomm look even dumber for their uh, little disc tweet last week about oh well here's a big red flag if a company says that we're doing our own system on a chip well no it means that they're leaving you behind because while you were making little mousy little tweets they're actually trying to save their business and create stuff that's going to continue to compete for the next three five ten years now of course they talked all about uh uh, their machine learning advantages, their AI advantages, uh, all these models that used to live on servers that they can now do on the device. That's all really nice, but they really need to show where it actually makes for a better experience. It's it's no good to just simply run a benchmark and saying, oh, well, this is 70% faster than last year's Pixel 5. Well, when was the last time that you did anything on your phone that really... <laughs> Where the bottleneck was, oh, the CPU isn't fast enough for this. Okay, you're about to say taking pictures. We'll get to that. But usually, for for making for simply typing typing out a text, really, the candy bar phones we had ten years ago were fast enough to do that. What can I do with this that I couldn't do with a previous design? Uh, and so they were very very uh, forthcoming with that sort of stuff. Uh, mostly, they're talking about, for instance, uh, how well they're uh, they they can have the server style speech text model running on the device much, much faster, much more agile. Uh, in a separate interview, uh, I think Sundar Pichai, or was it Rick Osterlo, mentioned that this uh, that the uh, the speech-to-text uh, model they have on there can process 200 words per minute, which is pretty damn dazzling. The, uh, the other thing was that during the demonstrations, during the live demos, during the presentation, they show that uh, off the agility where you can really be editing as you go. You can pause, change directions, uh, speak emojis. You don't have to speak out punctuation because I can figure out implicitly that there should be a question mark at the end of that. 
And really, that is a huge pain point. Uh, Apple makes some fantastic phones, certainly best in class. But you ask people like what really drives them nuts uh, about the, the the speech assistant, and it's always that they ju- it's just not interpreting their text properly. So the ability to speak as normally as I'm speaking to you right now, and to know that your phone is going to understand that and be able to process that. That's a difference that people are going to appreciate very, very nicely. Um, and the other category would be, of course, image processing. This is this is stuff where they can actually show off. Here's something it can do that it can, that it wasn't able to do before. Uh, for instance, I, I love uh, I love how uh, uh, Google phones, uh, Pixel phones, do HDR. It is a it's a look like a kind of like a classic film uh, film stock where you choose a film stock for the sort of mood you're trying to convey. I like the mood that. Uh, that uh, Pixel's HDR Plus mode creates, and now they're doing it in 4K. So if, if you're if you're shooting 60 frame per second video, it can actually do HDR processing on every single frame. So that in itself is pretty pretty cool. But speaking of cool, the fact that it can do that without overheating is pretty exceptional. That's something that even when you spend a thousand dollars on a, on a real standalone camera that does 4K, uh, actually a three thousand uh, dollar the, the Canon's was it the five R uh, where it will just shut down after 20 minutes uh, max because it just overheats. It cannot shoot a 4k video that long without uh, not just simply saying, Oh, I've got to stop now. I'm saying that the phone, the, the, the camera shuts down and it takes like a couple of hours for it to cool off. So you can actually start shooting video again. So the, uh, someone who had, uh, who had uh, pre-release hardware, uh, they haven't been able to do a full review yet. More on that later. But they were able to say that, hey, I kept it running for like uh, for like 20 minutes and then I got bored and shut it off and it wasn't even getting warm. That's really cool. Um, the stuff that's probably going to get a lot of attention are uh, ways that it can fix photos that that it maybe couldn't have done before. Uh, the, the, the best bar trick it has is. Uh, with a new tool they're calling magic eraser. Uh, It's a sort of like a Photoshop like way of uh, removing objects. So if there's uh, someone in the background uh, while you're holding hands with your, with your sweetie and you, you you decide that you want this to be a private intimate moment and you don't want to have a, someone, you know, holding a beer and wearing a party naked t-shirt in the background, you could just sort of like, you know, (laughs) draw a stripe over that person with your finger and that per, and that person will disappear from the photo and be replaced with the background. Um, have to wait to, until I get mine to really see how well that works. Uh, but, uh, Alain McKenna on Twitter, uh, I believe he's French. He was, uh, he posted a couple of real life examples. Now they, of course they showed some examples during the, uh, during the event, but it was like, Hey, look, if you've, (laughs) you've, if let's say that you're like in the middle of a white sand desert and there is like a bird on the top of another dune that you want to, okay, give me, that's, that's, that's way too easy. Come on. That's like, (laughs) <laughs> that's like removing a post-it note. I mean, you know, all these demonstrations were like really, really super unimpressive, but these were more traditional, like tourist photos where, uh, it's a beautiful, like sort of old world, sort of seawall sort of thing, like a walkway. And there's a couple dozen people like, uh, on the, uh, walking on the pathway and he removed like all of them. And yes, if you look really, really closely, I think you could definitely see, uh, something might have been there before. I'm not sure that I would have particularly noticed it had I not seen the original one posted right next to it, but that's a really impressive demonstration. You need these real world explanations to see how they work. Um, they're also showing off uh, an unblur face mode. 
so that uh, it's this is this is why you love you love to have these modern phones that have like so many uh, so many image sensors. So if if it detects that oh well the, your kid was jumping around and the the face is blurry, it will also it will it will also be able to grab like a high speed one from one of the other cameras. Use that use those pixels use that data to sort of recomposite this face so that it's no longer blurry. A couple other stuff like that. This is the sort of these are the sort of things that are very very obvious you solve a problem like if this is a, this is this is a terrible photo but if i took it with this phone with this tensor chip it's now a, it will be a really good photo the other real cool thing it's more impressive as a demo than in day-to-day life i'm guessing for most people uh, but it was very very impressive when they showed off live translation everywhere this is where whether you're in a messaging app whether you're in twitter whatever if you're having a, a live text conversation with somebody you can just simply it will just simply translate whatever that language is to whatever language you need it to be like on just without even having to go through Google Translate or anything. It's, it's sort of like the old uh, Google Wave uh, experiment from 10 years ago where it just <laughs> people two two people can converse and not care about what language they're individually using. They also had so I, it's a really great demo. I'm wondering how many people have. Uh, how many people have those sort of uh, multi-language conversations? But the point, that's not the point. The point is that those people who do, maybe the reason why we haven't been having, been having these conversations is because, well, we don't, <laughs> we don't have tools like this to, to rely on. I am sort of now rem- thinking about a time when uh, I was buying a piece of comic art that had not yet been published. It had been previewed, uh, but it hadn't been published yet. And so I contacted the artist. This was like 10 years ago uh, in Spain and uh, so negotiating through uh, through my whatever Spanish that I had left from from high school and whatever really, really bad online tools there were, we managed to like, oh, yes, that is for sale. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Thanks. Uh, how much is it? Oh, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and just she, uh, ship it to me whenever uh, they return the art to you. That's fine. And then I. I I I didn't know whether he was still working on it or whether this was finished completed art. So I asked, "Oh, is there going to be like a, is it, when the character let's say is is, is character going to be having be wearing uh, wearing his helmet?" And he said, "Oh, yes, yes." And I found out <laughs> and when I got the art, I found out that of course the published art was as I had seen it before, but he thought that I was asking him to please draw a helmet on this person. So it's, it's still beautiful. It's still wonderful. It didn't ruin anything at all, but it does show you that when you do need good live translation, it's good to have it. Uh, they also had a, an onstage interview with Marie Kondo uh, using the voice to text to voice to text to voice translation features. And I have to take Marie Kondo's word for it that this was actually fluent Japanese uh, that was being translated to English and back again. But uh, she did seem delighted, uh, as delighted as she would be if she found out that I threw out the uh, the sea chest that was the only possessions that my great grandparents brought with them from the old country because it was taking up space and it wasn't actually holding. I'm sorry, I'm being judgmental. I'm, I'm a very very clutter filled life. I'm very, very possessive and defensive, and I realize that that's my problem. It's not Marie's problem. But yeah, that, that's a really, really good party trick, and uh, I I can't wait to see this feature out in the wild to see what the general public feels about how well it works. Obviously, we've we've had this feature before through the Google Translate app, but it's always – and uh, Google has demonstrated it uh, in previous uh, previous product demos – However, there's always been sort of a little stutter between the two of them. Between it's, you're definitely talking through a device as opposed to 
uh, almost like ha- as opposed to really having the feeling of live translation. So really cool to see uh, how this actually plays out with, for instance, with a, a multi-generational household where uh, the parents are immigrants. They don't really speak English. The children grew up here uh, and they do speak English and they act as translators. Uh, will this give uh, those grandparents more accessibility to uh, to English English speakers in their neighborhood and in their businesses? Uh, we'll, we'll have to see that. Another thing that uh, was, that uh, I can't wait to see what real people think about this was uh, the real tone color processing on the cameras. Now, this is something that Apple also talked about during their uh, uh, introduction of the iPhone, the new iPhone this year. Uh, uh, people of color, BIPOC uh, people, the uh, cameras have never been tuned well to uh, to deal with anything other than Caucasian skin, even since the days of just chemical photography. That all of the the all the test images, you know, people who are holding up the color badges, it's always been like uh, Caucasian models, and so they test to see how well this film emulsion works, how well this digital sensor works with these test images that are white people, and the engineers are probably also white people, and they're judging based on I know what white skin should look like, uh, I need to, we need to adjust this because this white skin does not look correct. And when you try to take pictures of people who are not white, you wind up with really weird, really, really weird things. Skin tone is completely wrong. Exposure is completely wrong. Fuzzy and cloudiness because it's it's, it's making wrong guesses about the shape of a face because it uh, because it's looking for patterns of light and dark where it hasn't been told patterns of light and dark are. Now, uh, companies have been making uh, progress with this, but over, only in the past year or two. Has this actually been identified as a priority? Google identified this as a priority last year. And so they gave a really big hunk of their presentation time on Tuesday uh, to this new real tone, uh, real tone uh, uh, color mapping. And uh, by way of demonstration, they it was, of course, through a video. And they said that, well, we had basically had lots and lots and lots of uh, photographers who are people of color who we gave this, this uh, imaging model to to just keep giving us feedback on how things are working. They were very honest and open and forthright. They said <laughs> with, with their, with their, with their, uh, with their uh, talks. So, but once again, the proof is in the pudding. Once these phones get in the hands of real people who know what their know what their faces, their own faces look like. They know what their friends and their relatives faces look like. Uh, I can't wait to hear like what they have to say about whether they it's on the mark or not. And the other features that they showed off it, once again, the thing about the Pixel is that it's just a good phone. This is something that no other phone maker actually handles. That what are the pain points? What's the what's the big biggest pain in the butt of using a telephone for voice calls? And of course, uh, most of the features that they added there were had to do with having to deal with. The, <laughs> let, let's let's say that your broadband company and your mobile 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 broadband company had had dro- had uh, uh, had had cut uh, had cut service like in your entire town uh, on the day that you have to do a podcast, and you need to navigate. <laughs> you have to navigate uh, all of the customer service stuff. So this is one of the things they demonstrated where um, uh, they are. When you contact a, a customer service system, uh, it's a press one for the press two for this. It actually will turn that into a graphical user interface. So you just basically tap uh, tap uh, interface buttons on the screen that are labeled properly, and will also give you uh, 
uh, using the same sort of technology they use to figure out when's when is the when is the Starbucks around the corner most busy? When is it not busy? It'll use that same sort of stuff to figure out when's a good time to call to, to get in touch with a real person. When is not a good time to call? So that's the sort of stuff that uh, people are really going to. Uh, react to or at least it'll bring it'll it'll put the 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 pixel phone inside their minds when they're thinking about what they actually want to do about this now uh we'll let's let's take another break and then when we come back uh we will talk about weird embargo limitations that google has put on this device and also the reasons why i actually went in ahead and dropped a thousand bucks like 1100 bucks on this thing right after this This episode of Material is brought to you by Tech Talk, a podcast from the folks at Hewlett Packard Enterprise. I'm doing a lot of house cleaning, which means that lots and lots of tedious, repetitive work. I've got this like mountain of cardboard boxes, and I can either make a really, really cool like cardboard submarine, or I can cut them into tiny, tiny squares and put them into shopping bags and put them into the recycling. And I need something to listen to while I'm doing that. And I've already got lots and lots of podcasts, lots of Relay.fm podcasts that I love. Sometimes either I've caught up with everything that I'm usually listening to. Sometimes you just want to hear a voice you haven't heard before talking about topics and a, and, and a subject that you haven't really ever considered before. Uh, and so that's why I'm kind of glad that this was our uh, one of our sponsors this week uh, because I got to listen to some new episodes of Tech Talk. Uh, Tech Talk is the show that talks through HPE news, tech insights, and world-class innovations. Uh, one of the ones that I, I handpicked for, 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 this, uh, for, for this outing uh, was entitled the Walt Disney Studios Studio Lab Discuss AI Innovation. This this topic is right up my street. I love the idea of uh, abstract technology, really technical sort of machinery that's being used to empower creativity, where it's not just about dipping a brush into ink and, and dabbing on paper anymore. There are bits that have to be pushed around, and there are people who have to create tools that move those bits around so that the creative people or the people who are doing the visual creativeness and the the writing creativeness and the music creativeness can do their jobs better and maybe even do it in new ways they haven't even considered before. So uh, the host had uh, Erica Virus Doggett, who's a research scientist at uh, Disney Studio Lab, uh, and was just talking about how she, the way she made, the way she talked about it, it's, it reminded me of in the old, old, old fashioned studios in like the 30s, 40s, and 50s, how they ha- used to have these amazing machine shops where if a director said, I need a camera that can be dropped out of an airplane and then caught in a trampoline and then uh, moved from the trampoline to a really, really close, tight shot of a bug on the ground and make it look like it's all one smooth movement. Can you build us a rig like that? And they said, sure, we can do that. Is, is that all it has to do? Would you, actually, as a matter of fact, we could have it bounce off the trampoline, follow a, a duck. And they're basically all these technical people, these people who are who are letting these creatives know exactly what the machinery that's available can do for them. Letting them know about technologies that uh, that uh, that maybe they weren't aware of and ways that their jobs could be made even bigger or simpler. Uh, she, uh, she, the way she puts it, I think she actually uses this phrase a couple of times during the interview saying, we want to give our people superpowers. She talks about how, uh, she wants, she doesn't want uh, the technology to take over. They, she wants the people that, uh, are doing, making movies and creating things at Disney studios to 
find uh, technology that can do the tedious parts for them and make things faster, let them pursue a lot more ideas and, uh, and break down a lot of different limits. Uh, she was talking about what, uh, uh, even uh, some of the simpler, uh, simpler to explain jobs. Like there are people who do quality control uh, and their jobs is to look at 4K, 4K videos, uh, 4K studio footage and look for anomalies like problems that at the pixel level, okay? Uh, and then when they find one of these anomalies, anomalies find out, decide, well, based on their expertise, what should they do about it? Is it simple? Is it small enough that it doesn't need anything to do about it? Or is this this block that some nerd on some Reddit forum is going to spot and then screenshot and then it'll be on the IMDB or something? Uh, and there, there are ways that they can automate that workflow uh, with machine learning and with, uh, and with the systems that they have on hand, even ways that they can repair that kind of damage without having to send it back to, to, to an artist. Uh, they call that infill pixels. Uh, so yeah, it's, this is the, this is the sort of stuff that I, I really, really like. Uh, there, uh, there are these boxes with screaming fans in them that we run our businesses on, but there, that's not the thing. The thing is how we use them and how we leverage them. And there are a lot of these sort of interviews, uh, on this podcast that get into that sort of stuff. Um, that, that's uh, one episode. Another one uh, is uh, applying tech for the good of the people, planet, and communities. Uh, how the CTO of Tottenham Hotspur's state-of-the-art stadium is utilizing technology and connectivity to help keep players and fans safe amid COVID-19 restrictions. If you ever get a chance to get a tour of like the te- of the tech barn of the of the of the of the server barn at a stadium, oh my God, it will blow your mind the level of the level of automation and the level of monitoring that they are capable of doing to keep everything running properly it's like it's it's a if it's football for me it's a better show than uh, than it's actually on the field sorry just an aside uh and the show takes you straight to the source interviewing some seriously impressive tech leaders previous guests have included dr michael roberts from the iss u.s national lab Emily Christensen, a master's candidate in applied data science at USC, Monica Livingston from Intel, and many, many more. Listen to brand new episodes of HPE's Tech Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search for Tech Talk now, or click the link that we'll have for you in the show notes. Our thanks to HPE Tech Talk for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Well, like I said, um, we are not st- we're not stenographers. It's not our job to simply hear and obey and to repeat whatever was said during these uh, press events or spoken to us during a product briefing to our own audiences and our own tones of voice. Uh, we are independent thinkers. We have our own points of view. We have our own priorities and our own ideas about what makes a feature work, what makes it not work, what's important, what's not important. And so none of this is going to matter until all the people who have, uh, even the ones who have had access to pre-release hardware, have a chance to actually write their full reviews, do their entire videos, really put it through their, through the works. And well, what do you know? Uh, they were, uh, the embargo broke on the day that the uh, presentation was on Tuesday. However, there was something about all of these videos that were put out and all, most of the things that were written about it based on people who had actually had it, they weren't saying anything really about it. And that's because Google had imposed really stupid embargo limitations. So uh, the first, there were two embargoes. There's it's a staged embargo on Tuesday, the day in which they formally announced it. Uh, this is uh, courtesy of uh, Arun Maini, 
who actually uh, who was offered pre-release excuse me got pre-release hardware and actually like posted screenshots of the rules that Google had sent him uh, at 10 a.m. on the 19th they were allowed to post quote first looks slash unboxings unquote uh, they can post images of the hardware the home screen and technical specs forbidden are images or videos of any new software features until Monday at 9 a.m. So essentially, they're not really allowed to produce anything really substantive until next Monday. And that's sickening. Okay? I, I hate that. I don't uh, – you can't allow yourself to become part of the marketing of the product. I'm, I'm not blaming any of these people who agree to these embargoes. Um, but – and so they're finding – they're certainly finding ways to get around this. They're not simply you know, spending their, uh, their column inches and their – uh, and their YouTube time and their podcast time, uh, repeating, uh, talking points. Uh, but the thing is the fact that they can't, they've had this for this for a certain amount of time and they're not allowed to say anything of substance that would, you, you have to think that they're being blocked from saying anything negative, anything that could give people a reason to maybe not buy it in the first few days, maybe not pre-order it, uh, and that gives you a kind of a sickening, gives me a sort of a sickening feel in my stomach. This this sort of thing really cheesed me off. Uh, a while ago, uh, I'm talking about like 2013, 2014. I, I didn't go through a, I, I don't think you'd call it a career midlife crisis, but it was certainly an inflection point where I'm going to take a moment to think about what I've done for the previous 20 years. I hope to be doing this job for another 20 years. But there are things I absolutely hate about this job that really just make me feel like a dope uh, and I had to spend, take a step back and think about, well, how do we deal with these things that we don't like? Can we get a, is there a way we, is this something that we have to simply accept? And if we can't accept that, should we quit? Or is this something that is voluntary that we, if we make certain sacrifices, we don't have to do this. And really top of the list was more and more, and this was back in 2013, 2014, companies are treating the press as though they're simply part of the marketing strategy, as though they're unpaid, uh, as, as though they're not allowed to have brains, they're not allowed to have opinions, they're not allowed to do whatever they want to do. They're not allowed to have their own point of view. Their purpose on this earth, our purpose on this earth is to simply promote the product. And that's why they're they're giving us pre-release hardware that's why we're get, they're giving us review loaners uh so sell, help us sell the phone do as we're do as we're telling you to do and be grateful and man i just hated that I, it, it was getting worse and when i when i got started it was more like uh we have a we want people to learn we want people to hear about our product uh we want you we realize that all we can do is uh, provide you with the hardware and provide you with whatever, uh, give you, give you a resource for whatever questions you might have and whatever happens, happens. YouTube has really screwed things up. Now it's really, it really has made a lot of companies, I would say Apple included, uh, apparently Google included, really think that there's a very blurry line between a journalist and an influencer, someone who I'm just, I just want to get my, I just want to post my picture on Instagram of me holding the brand new phone and flaunt that, Hey, look, I've got the thing before anybody else has. And I'm grateful. And I don't want to, I don't want to be cut off from future, uh, exclusives like this. I don't, I want to get the, the, the burst of attention, the burst of audience from, from being the first one to have this. So yes, absolutely. I will play nicely. I will do, I'll follow whatever re- rules you want. And the people who are like, look, I, 
I have an opinion. I, I have to call this as I see it. And I will, I will take whatever lumps I have to take by virtue of the fact that for, for this privilege of having an audience and treating them seriously. But see, this is, this would have really cheesed me off. I, I don't, I don't think I would have agreed to this, these embargo terms. And once again, I'm not blaming or faulting people uh, who did agree to these terms. A lot of people I respect certainly agreed to these terms uh, because uh, number one, I, I can't be so arrogant as to think that my point of view, my opinion on this is the only valid, the only <laughs> righteous opinion on this. And also as a result of all that thinking that I did in 2013, 2014, I intentionally put myself in a position where my, my job does not require me to have the first review of something. There are so many people who uh, are on staff in places where they have to have the, whatever, whatever moment the embargo lifts for everybody, they have to have the device and they have to have their, their own piece out there. Otherwise they're the entire business model of whatever they're writing for or whatever platform that they're doing videos for collapses. Um, again, all power to them. Um, and I just decided that this is, I would, I would not have been doing this job for another seven years after 2014, had I been doing that. And that's the reason why I made that choice, but okay, so let's, let's move forward. So there, uh, my purchase of this thing. Now there's uh, a new pixel phone subscription plan. You could have done uh, if you subscribe to this pixel pass for 45 bucks uh, for the pixel six or the 55 bucks for the pixel six pro, you get a brand new phone yeah, that also, that's uh, for two years, uh, excuse me, month after month. I think it's an ongoing recording thing, at least for two years. Uh, but you get, uh, you also get in the package, 200 gigabytes of, uh, Google one storage, uh, with automatic photo backup, YouTube premium subscription, YouTube music premium, and the Google play pass. You also get device protection. And in two years time, you can get an upgrade to the brand new pixel. Um, I didn't go for that. I, I just said, okay, I'm going to buy it. Go ahead. I, I free, call it freelancer syndrome. I didn't even ask for, you know, let me spread out the payments over two years at 0% interest. I just, <laughs> I just said, okay, I just, I don't like owing people money. If I have the money, I just want to spend it. And also there was quite of a rush to try to get this thing bought. Um, so, but I did get a pre-order in. It's going to be arriving in the first few days of November. It was a nightmare. I uh, first, uh, the, presentation started at one. I didn't know whether the pre-orders would start immediately or they would, uh, take the, take the wraps off at the end of the show or maybe at a certain date, but I checked it like one Oh five and Hey, there's the, the ordering page was there. Uh, I was able to quickly put a, the first, the first stumble was I would get the, 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 the site would crash when I just tried to get into the pixel part of the page. Then I got that, but it would crash when I tried to get into the pixel pro part of the page. Finally I got to the part where I got the, and so this is why I was not suddenly thinking about, Ooh, I got to make sure I get my free pixel buzz. All I was thinking about was black 512 gigabytes, put it into the cart and then <laughs> click buy and get and and, and, and check out. And it would just crash, 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 crash. It would just keep giving me like server errors and bouncing me back, bouncing me back. Finally, after, uh, and I, I kept at this for the entire hour. And finally, like uh, an hour and a half later, it was like, oh, I'm sorry. The Pixel 6 Pro Black 512 gig is out of stock. And so it's been removed from your cart. I'm like, not even waitlisted. It's like out of stock and oh, dang nabbit. Cause that's why I wanted to buy it on the first day because I was kind of worried about, uh, about uh, limited availability. 
And so because I decided I wanted it anyway, why not get it the first day when they definitely have stock? Fortunately, it took them a couple after a couple hours, they managed to solve their problems. And around four o'clock, three hours later, I was able to put the purchase through. Uh, and so no harm done, of course. But of course, to cap things off, my my bank blocked the charge because it's suspected fraud. Uh, but it, it was OK. I, <laughs> I, I, I went through I went through a different uh, different channel and yes, I got paid for. Uh, so looking forward to seeing if I, can, if I can get those free pixel buds, but I'm glad that it's in the cart. I was hoping that maybe I could have it in hand in time for my trip to New York. I'm leaving on the 28th, uh, but okay, that's fine. So I'll get it. Now, at least I know I don't have to worry that it'll arrive like while I'm away and someone could just like grab it off my front step. Okay, we'll, t- we'll take, I'll, I'll just take the win. But uh, in this gap between the excitement of making the purchase and having it in hand, there's this period which I'm like, oh my God, I've just spent a thousand hundred dollars. What the hell have I done? Uh, because I, I'm still very happy with my $350 Pixel 4a. It's very, very good. Uh, they're just things I wish that, I, that I've been uh, delaying buying a flagship phone for so long that uh, I've, I've been looking forward to getting this huge, huge upgrade all at once. Um, but to but here's the here's the maximum that I always put myself through that whenever it's a serious upgrade uh, of any piece of hardware that it's it's not worth my time and money unless it will solve problems or create opportunities and this is def- this is not an incremental upgrade for me once again it's been uh, my before I had before I bought the the 4A last year uh, I bought 2 years ago the Pixel 1 so uh, all, all because there hasn't been a single Android phone or or an iPhone that really gotten me excited about spending like uh, uh, spending prestige amount of money uh, on this on a new phone. So what I am getting, though, by waiting three or four years is hugely improved camera hardware. Um, I, 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 that's really why I went for the pro instead of the Pixel 6. Even in the uh, even in the last year, which I haven't been able to really go far away from my house, just you know, I'm, when I'm doing a, a ten minute errand around the neighborhood, it made me appreciate how often I want to use telephoto, and so that telephoto lens on the six Pro is really, really going to come in handy. I really wanted an ultra wide ever since I, last time I tested an iPhone that had an ultra wide, and of course, it's a much better, bigger, premium sensor. So it'll be better in low light, better in everything. So uh, really, uh, the, most of what I use my phone, mo- most of what I value my phone for is for photography. And so uh, that's where I really want. I want a much, much better camera and I'm getting a hugely better camera. So that just that alone justifies it. Uh, I'm also getting 512 gigs of storage, which is going to be really important because the 128 gigabytes on my Pixel 4a doesn't leave me with any headroom. I've got like a few gigabytes left and that's about it. And that's without having taken it on any trips like in the past year. So that's not like I'm out take I'm out taking pictures and taking videos, like walk taking a walk through New York and it's going to be a while before I'm back at Wi-Fi even under those circumstances. I'm still like on the bumping my head in the bumping my head in the ceiling. So 256 gigs would have worked okay, uh, but 512 gigabytes was just 100 bucks more. So why not max it out? Uh, so I don't have to be stingy about shooting video and photos. More than that, now this is intriguing, again, creating opportunities, solving problems. That means that I can keep my entire music library on it and still have 256 gigabytes left over. That is frisky and enticing uh, because uh, I've I've had this this library on my little little, uh, digital Walkman. And the idea of having shuffle play shuffling through 
like like a thousand albums worth of stuff it digs up deep cuts that you suddenly love but you've owned since like for for eight or nine years so that's going to be super exciting 5g of course uh that i haven't had before that's going to be my first big screen phone that's a lot more relevant than it used to be five years ago because now that i'm, I'm writing uh, writing and speaking so much more about policy and about research so a lot of my life now is reading pdfs and, and reading like articles uh so yeah that's going to be a lot more relevant um and also uh, so I'm, it's a big leap up also now this is the problem with previous pixels there's usually a gotcha or three in the specifications and there weren't any in the in the pixel six as far as i can see one gotcha is out of date components uh, and the Pixel 6 has the latest screen technology, the latest editions of blue, latest Bluetooth chips, the latest Wi-Fi chips. So highest speed, most features there. Uh, like with the Pixel 4, had this tiny, tiny little battery. Why, why, why? Uh, the Pixel 6 Pro has 5,000 milliamp hour battery. No problems there. Um, I want to see flagship processing power. The sort of the sort of thing that makes me think that this will still be a very, very sprightly uh, phone a few years into the future. Uh, no problem there with the Tensor chip. Um, the 5G, as a matter of fact, it has both sub six, uh, the, the the useful form of 5G and millimeter wave, which is useless for almost every circumstance because it's super, super, super faster than sub six uh, gigahertz. But however, it's like you can get it across the street so long as it's line of sight and there's no obstacles. But but I have it. If I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on a phone, I want it. Uh, I also was worried about uh, security updates, and uh, I, so this one's longest longest tale of security updates in any uh, Pixel phone they've done. Five years of security updates, three years of guaranteed OS updates, and remember, my Pixel One it wasn't supposed to get uh, the the latest. It, it got like, one more uh, major OS update than it had promised, so I've got good hopes there. So I, I, I've. So I'm definitely going to get have get three or four years worth of service out of this, and for a thousand bucks, eleven hundred bucks, I need to. I can't be replacing this in two years' time. I can spend. I could spend three hundred fifty dollars for the four A as a one year stopgap to make sure I'm getting security updates on my daily driver phone. I can't spend eleven hundred dollars on something that will only last me two years. Um, even so, I so it's a good good buy for me. I did consider alternatives. Like if I, if, as I said, the most important thing, the most valuable thing for me is a much better camera. Why not just buy a better pocket camera? So just to be thorough, I consider this, but again, there's so many times where, uh, I'm just going around the, I'm just taking a walk around the, around the neighborhood, or I'm just leaving the house for 15 minutes to run a quick errand. And I didn't know that I was going to encourage, I was going to encounter this really, really great dramatic sunlight on this really, really great flower pot or whatever. And so I really need to have that on my phone. I really need to have that all the time. So I didn't even seriously consider that. I did seriously consider the iPhone 13 pro and I, I kind of had to, because again, it's a lot of money. I have to consider all alternatives. And the thing is, there's nothing about Android that's disappointing me. Really? There's nothing that I'm unsatisfied with. And there's nothing new in iOS that has tempted me to switch. I really think that both platforms are on equal footing right now there's diff there are little differences between the two but they're not improvements they're like features that might be relevant might not be relevant um and also it's way way more expensive uh for what i believe to be the same kind of quality uh yes the frame of the uh, pixel 6 pro is aluminum not stainless steel but eh 
I'm putting in a case anyway. It'll work fine. Uh, the, the idea that I, I did check while, while I was frustrated trying to figure out, am I ever going to be able to check out <laughs> and, and actually buy this phone? I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to pull up apple.com and find out how much an iPhone 13 pro costs. And, and so I could get like the base level 128 gigabyte model for the same amount of money. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a big, I'm going to be a grown up here and be patient and get 512 gigs for less money. Uh, um, as how about, uh, how about Samsung? Well, they're fine, but I just feel safer buying Android phones made by Google. I don't like how Samsung makes me sign up for a, com- a ton of different accounts that I don't want or need. Uh, I don't like the bloatware. I don't like a lot of the aesthetics they do. I, I like the purity of the Android experience on pixel and also the pixel drops, the extra features that, and that, uh, Google keeps putting on. I found them pretty valuable. So they're things to look forward to now. That doesn't mean that I'm completely confident. I'm still a little bit worried. Uh, Google often does have quality control issues uh, with their first generation hardware, so I'm sort of, I'm sort of like stealing myself or opening this box on November second or November third and finding, oh look, the screen is has like a green cast to it and it's not going away even after five days. And Apple sa- and Google says it's not a it's not a manufacturing fault, so I'm stuck with it. We'll have to see how well that works. Again, uh, I can return it within a couple of weeks if I don't like it. So that was another little stopgap there. Um, else, but I, I decided that I just want to get on with it. I really just since I decided that I've got the money, it's a good time to upgrade, and this ha- really does have everything that I want to see. You know, let's just get on with it. I was also worried about shortages. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't have. Uh, there's a report. Uh, Nikkei says that Google has manufactured seven million Pixel sixes. Uh, that's twice as many as all the pixels that they put into the retail channel last year. Uh, it's about as many as they ordered back in 2019 when they ordered the Pixel four. So obviously, they think that they're <laughs> they, they think the kids are going to dig this one. Um, the only, actually the only regret I, I know I should move on, but the only regret I really have is that maybe I missed a chance to get it on the, the Thursday that it gets released. It's getting released on Thursday the 28th. I'm going to be in New York, arriving in New York on the 28th. And in New York, uh, in Chelsea, there is the only Google store in the world. So I could have taken my chances and just simply walked into the Google store, uh, <laughs> wave, wave, waving a fan, uh, a, a, a decorative fan of $100 bills and walked out with a 512 gigabyte Pixel 6 Pro that day but maybe not. So, okay, I'll, I'm probably going to drop by anyway just to see what's what's what. Uh, in the meantime, I do have my Spigen, Spigen case. I'm sorry, Mr. or Mrs. Spigen, uh, if I've mispronounced your name, but I do have my case ready to receive it. It is big, much bigger than my Pixel 4a. I'm sure I'll get the, I'll get used to that. Um, but most of all, and I, again, I should really uh, close this out, um, more than anything else, I, I think we've all known for the past three or four years that um, the pixel three, even the pixel four, definitely the pixel five, those aren't the pixels that Google intended to make when they released the pixel one, that they have been moving towards something revolutionary, something where they can sort of take everything that they know, all the research they've done, all the software, all the artificial intelligence, all the design work, all the stuff they've done when they've designed hardware for their servers and basically amalgamate that into a phone uh, and they had to they had to acquire HTC in order to do it. They had to acquire some a lot of other uh, people to do that. And then it took them a few years to design something from scratch that wasn't just simply a reference uh, reference phone with things that have been added to it. 
uh, we've all been known that that was coming, and now the, that day is finally here. Definitely the first generation. It would have been awesome if I if I was buying the second generation instead. But again, I don't want to wait another year. Let's let's just get on with it. So we'll find out if I'm weeping into my into my porridge <laughs> after November second. So you can you'll have a front row seat for that. Uh, well, we're nearly out of time. We'll take one more quick break, I think, and then we'll do uh, we'll talk a little bit about that Donnybrook because I think it's it's amusing for people who don't work for YouTube or Roku. Back after this. Well, here we go. Uh, we talked about this actually earlier in the year when uh, Roku and YouTube had developed this Popeye versus Bluto sort of relationship. Uh, it was time for them to renew the agreement to have the YouTube apps uh, available on uh, Roku streamers. And they'd already <laughs> absolutely collapsed negotiations with YouTube television. And so today, if you buy a brand new Roku streaming device, you can't download the YouTube TV app. You, if you already had it uh, on your existing device, it'll still be there, but you can't download it for new. And so the argument back in uh, spring and summer, summer between the two companies had been that, Roku was saying that, oh well, we we could not we could not uh, agree to uh, YouTube's demands because they were demanding uh, preferential visibility in the Roku user interface, uh, preferential rankings when users search for something on Roku. Uh, they were demanding more access to user data than is allowed to any other company. Uh, They're also claiming that YouTube was demanding that Roku add hardware features to the streamers just to support uh, future YouTube stuff. Uh, which would have increased the cost of their cheap uh, streamers. Um, I think here they're talking about hardware support for a new codec that uh, that YouTube wants to use. Um, Google has been saying that Roku is a bunch of lying liars whose lying mouths stream nothing but lies. Okay, so there's a bit of an impasse there. So now the main YouTube app itself is next to go. <laughs> it's the next piece of collateral damage. If they don't work out their issues, and it doesn't look like they will, given the rhetoric I'm about to apprise you of, uh, YouTube app won't be available to download on for Roku devices after December 9th when their agreement absolutely, absolutely terminates. Uh, as with YouTube television, uh, the YouTube app will continue to work on any Roku devices where it's already been installed, but... Uh, you won't be able to get it from the store anymore. It's hard to know where Roku's negotiation position is. Roku is easily the number one streaming platform, but YouTube is the number two content app across all platforms. And so that's a lot of content you're removing from availability. So they're going to have to do something. I mean, even Amazon Fire devices have access to YouTube and they were the last holdouts. Uh, so I don't, but I don't think they're gonna kiss and make nice. Uh, Roku posted this statement on their blog this week. Shortly after we posted this update, our customers, uh, to our customers, and raised concerns about their anti-competitive conduct, Google notified us that unless we reach agreement on renewal terms prior to the expiration of our current agreement, we will not be able to offer YouTube on the Roku platform for new users. While not surprising, this kind of blatant retaliation and monopoly conduct is likely why the United States Department of Justice and 30 state attorneys general are investigating Google for violating fair competition laws. Google's actions are designed to stifle competition and harm consumers, which is why there is broad bipartisan support in Congress today to rein in monopoly abuses. We will continue to try to keep YouTube and YouTube TV available for Roku customers and will provide updates as appropriate. 
Uh, YouTube, for its part, is reiterating its lying liars position. Uh, the quote they provided is Roku has Roku has once again chosen to make unproductive and baseless claims rather than try to work constructively with us. Uh, but things have gotten extra, extra spicy uh, because uh, you'll recall that uh, last week they, uh, the Justice Department uh, senators who are, on, I'm sorry, on the Justice Committee uh, have announced the American Innovation and Choice Online Act just introduced into into the Senate a bipartisan bipartisan bill uh, by the Senate Judiciary Committee written in part to fight exactly the sort of behavior that Roku is accusing YouTube of perpetrating. As a matter of fact, a Roku senior vice president contributed a quote of support uh, for one of the two sponsors, Senator Amy Klobuchar, the antitrust senator, uh, head of antitrust at the, uh, at, on the Judiciary Committee. Uh, about the, uh, So her page about the bill, he has a quote. Roku's uh, a quote has been contributed with this. Uh, the Verge also reports that uh, company reps have been in contact with lawmakers about these concerned uh, and so today, uh, Thursday, uh, Senator Klobuchar actually released a statement in support of Roku. Roku's claim that Google requires the company to preference YouTube content over that of other pri- providers and Roku's search results highlights why we need new laws to, provo- to prevent dominant digital platforms from abusing their power as gatekeepers. So what Roku is basically saying is that, hey, look, you know that there is a big, big old 80 hundred gallon container of, 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 of pig, pig excrement poised over your head and a very, very weak valve over your head, preventing you from being dumped on it. We've got the, we've got the, the string that will open up that valve. And if you would like to not have that sort of stuff dumped over your head, you'll make an agreement with us because, oh boy, are we going to be ever talkative and ever helpful to the judiciary committee when they're talking, when they need more ammunition about how to make your lives hell. So yeah, there's, uh, there's, this is, where are those two lovable college kids who just, their hands found each other beyond, beyond the, the maple tree and the quad where they've told each other's secrets Walked long lock walks together, made out like pirates kissing on mummies. I don't know. This, this, I don't think this relationship can be saved. But uh, this, this episode will have to be ended, unfortunately. Uh, boy, we're going to be welcoming back Flo next week again. Oh, God, she's had such a. I, I, I mean, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I lost power, but that was still. Uh, you know, just like I lost power, like at an inopportune time, at least I still had like internet service. I still had battery power. I could still like, I could still record a show and talk to flow over my phone. He had, she had that, that double whammy of just, Oh God. So I think that uh, you and I, you dear listeners and I both miss her (laughs) very, very much and can't wait to have her, uh, to have her ear and her, and and her opinions uh, back next week. Uh, until then, uh, you can visit us at relay.fm slash material. There you can find our show notes, links to stuff that we talked about uh, today, uh, as well as if you want to become a member of uh, relay.fm, contribute a little bit of money uh, to uh, give us a little bit of extra cash uh, for all uh, uh, for, for us as creators of the show. And you'll also be cre- have access to special content from us and from all of Relay FM. 
that's going to do it from from uh, from material podcast today thank you so much for listening for the past hour and five minutes uh hope you listen to us again next week when flow is back until then have a happy safe and healthy seven days bye-bye